What's up, y'all? You're listening to the Eagles Monday Recap. I'm Alex Miller with the Eagle, joined always by Travis Brown. Man, Travis, it, it got cold, man. I, I just... Uh, I started, I've started this, this trend where I, after the Monday press conference is over, I walk over to my wife's office, which is right over by Kyle Field, and you know say hi and you know be a good husband or whatever. And I actually text her today. I'm like, are you like in a meeting or something? And she's like, she texted back later and was like, "Yeah, I was." I'm like, "Well, good, because I wasn't walking over in the cold. Wow. If, you, if I like couldn't, if I if I didn't have assurances that I was going to see her, so I ended up just coming right over here." Well, I'm so sorry, Lauren. Mm-hmm. Anyway, hey, uh, A&M got a win over South Carolina on Saturday. We heard from Jimbo Fisher, a few Aggies, as they get ready for their game against Ole Miss, a team that's had their number the last couple years. Yeah, and. Uh, you know, Travis, what was what was maybe something that stood out to you about maybe what Jimbo or some of the players had to say? You know, I, I think the thing that stood out the most to the internet is um, Moose Muhammad's his answer about Moose Muhammad, and that is uh, Jimbo's answer about Moose Muhammad uh, when asked, you know, kind of what's the the deal with him, and and he basically gave kind of a, a garbled answer. Let's see if I can actually pull it up quickly on on my twitter yeah Um, it it kind of didn't make sense at first but then it did make sense here's the exact quote guys are playing in different things we're doing schematically and some guys are playing in the rotation he'll be there there's nothing wrong with what he's doing i kind of interpreted that on twitter to say jimbo said he's been kept off the field due to schematic decisions and the fact that guys ahead of him are playing well and uh, Fisher said that he's still doing well as well. So he's not hurt. He's not in the doghouse for anything. It's just he's... Well, that's what he said. That's what um, he said. I mean, but if you look at his stats, we've kind of pulled up pro football focus here. His receiving grade is for the season is 59.8, which puts him 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, ninth on A&M's receiver list that's behind jake johnson it's well raymond cottrell is on there but he's only taken like he's only has one target this season and he caught the ball um and ernest crownover but ernest crownover was been in pressure situations even though he has two catches and both have been touchdowns so you can you can debate that a little bit um you know 70 percent of his uh receptions were in the slot i am beginning so much lately on this podcast and i know nicole griffin from kbtx called me out on it uh this last week so griffith griffith whatever Uh, nicole i know you're listening to this and (laughs) and i yawned again for you so you can laugh at me later i've done it twice now and i'm probably going to do it again because it's in my head anyway slot receiver yeah he's lined up 70 he's lined up 70 percent of the time at the slot uh this year which is for the most part anaya smith's position so you there is something to be said about the fact that he's behind anaya's now could he play the wide position? I mean, he's been out there uh, for for twenty percent of his snaps, a uh, little little over twenty percent of his snaps. So they do line him up out there. It is just interesting. It's seventy two percent in the slot, twenty seven percent out wide. Interesting the way they're doing this you, makes you wonder if there's some kind of issue behind the scenes. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it was pretty telling when, you know, they subbed out Noah Thomas for Micah Tease the, uh, the other day and, and Moose didn't get a single rep. I mean, it, it just makes you scratch your head because you watch the guy play against LSU last year and you're like, 
oh my gosh, A&M's got a budding star at receiver, and it, it's been kind of the same story this year, right? I mean, he's shown some flashes, but it's it's just been a flash in the pan. It's nothing that's really stuck. 19 targets, 14 receptions on 19 targets for 130 yards this year. Um, you know, the good news for A&M is that Anaya's kind of had a, a little bit of a breakout game at receiver this week. I mean, they, they've got to get stuff going on offense, which is another talking point that we've that that was asked about today is is scoring in the second half and we'll get to that in a second but they've got they've got to get guys going and and you coming into the season you thought moose could be one of those guys you know so much was made of noah thomas coming up coming into the season from his teammates and from jimbo he had the big season opener and 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 noah's had some he's had some catches here and there he had a couple good ones against tennessee but he has not emerged as that go-to big play target that I think a lot of people thought he might. Evan Stewart's been Evan Stewart, but AM just, I mean, it just seems like they've got pieces there, but they just can't get it going. Yeah, and you know, Moose was in the doghouse last year at Auburn for refusing to... I wonder how many people listening to this now are just yawning in their cars because I can't stop yawning. So I apologize. He wore the sleeves. He, he wore the sleeves and... It was cold. It was cold. And, and Jimbo Fisher had said that they're, they are not allowed to wear sleeves. There was a whole sleeve controversy. So it just makes you wonder what's what's going on there. It really does. Hey, it also makes you... what We asked what's going on there trying to score in the second half, particularly touchdowns. a of course, got three field goals against South Carolina in the second half. You know, Trey Zune kind of said, you know, maybe they get a little complacent. Some of the other that guys... That was a really interesting answer. Yeah, because it was. I don't, I don't know, know if he if maybe that's... understood the question fully or what he was saying. Well, or maybe I, he I did. mean, he did because it's a, it is... It is the honest answer, if if it really is the answer. But I don't know if that's the part that you say out loud. Um, <laughs> you know, I hey, people are saying things out loud they maybe shouldn't this last week. Yeah, so Harduzzi, <laughs> right? So I, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's actually the case or not. I mean, th- these games are not like they're. It's not like they're blowing people out at halftime, and it's been a problem for the, over the last four games and none of those games were in hand so yeah they, i mean they've had they've had the lead the last four games going into halftime where you're thinking man if, if if they go get another score like they can really take control of the game arkansas got back with w- in it on the early in the third quarter with the defensive touchdown alabama of course really clamped down on AM's offense tennessee did the same thing and then you know, AM just wasn't able to finish drives against South Carolina, and it was a one-score game in the fourth quarter. Yeah, so, uh, you know, uh, there, there is some issue. I think, you know, Jimbo Fisher did mention late in the game they were trying to run the ball and run out the clock. I, I do think that there is something to be taken from that in the fact that, that there is more conservative play calling in the second half than, than in the first half, and that adds to the, the, the slowness of the tempo, the slowness of the the offense and and times where he says that I, I would have gone for it, but we wanted to go up two scores. We wanted to kick the field. I, I, it just seems like in the first half, as of the last few games, they they they've embraced a little bit more of an aggressive play calling style and game management style. But in the second half, 
especially when they had the lead. It's it's that it's playing not to lose, not playing to win. Okay, tell me if I'm reading into this a little too much. I think there's been some questions asked about who's how much of control does Bobby Petrino really have in the offense? But Max Johnson, to his point, when asked about the touchdown pass he threw to Anaya Smith right before the half, he said, yeah, as soon as Coach Petrino called the play, I knew it was a touchdown. It's like, Max yeah, has well, been... Yeah, I don't think that there's any... question. I think anybody who wants to get into the conspiracy theory that Jimbo's calling the plays again, the plays aren't great, but they're not the way that Jimbo Fisher is called plays. The formations, the personnels, the, the way that they mix those up, they're different looking more downfield and plays that take longer to develop. That's not Jimbo's style. Okay. I'm not saying I'm the conspiracy theorist. Yeah. I was trying to get you to debunk what, right. pe- what the perception is. Right. That yeah. And I, it doesn't, this. it doesn't look like, I know we, we've said, we've talked about this for, for a couple weeks now. The offense doesn't look like Jimbo's offense. It's having the same results sometimes as Jimbo's <laughs> offense did last year, but there's sometimes worse differences in personnel packages. There's, plays that you know that take too long to to develop um when so much of what Jimbo Fisher did in the past game over his last years was play action levels you know kind of things that aren't necessarily that are a lot more timing passes that don't take a whole lot of time to 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 develop especially if you're just dumping it off to the tight end it just doesn't feel like Jimbo's offense but but it does feel like it's the same results that Jimbo's offense were getting last year in the second half you know, something that I thought was interesting, Max Johnson was asked about, you know, how do you balance, you know, waiting for a play to develop versus just having to get rid of the ball to avoid the sack? He gave an interesting quote. He said, hey, sometimes taking a sack is not – it's obviously not the best thing, but it's it could not also be the worst thing too. Yeah, there's – there's ins- I mean, you, you look at what – the pressure that Spencer Rattler was under and the three intentional groundings he took and, and really probably was going to be a fourth one. I, I need to go back and watch that play a little bit again, where it ended up falling into the receiver's arms and he get it. That, I, that was really lucky. If I, yeah. His head, if I remember right, was not looking in that it was get it out and it just kind of <laughs> fell in. I mean, if the, if the play breaks down, your guys are covered, the, the your, your pockets collapsing and, the option is try to force a pass or take the sack. I mean, I, in certain situations on first down, if you're close to the line, um, you know, not on third and short, you don't want to lose four yards and, and then get yourself in a, in a bad position. But, but yeah, it's better than throwing an interception. Uh, it's better than putting your ch- yourself into a chance to throw an interception. Um, so yeah, there's times that you go ahead and take, I mean, in the, it, it, it's interesting. You watch NFL games. The guys who are the veterans, if they feel the pockets collapsing and they know they're, they're not going to be able to get out of the pocket to get to throw the ball away, they just turtle. You know, they don't even take the hit. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying that Max should should do that, but but it is a common philosophy now. Compounded with the fact that yes, does it seem like that he sticks to his first read a little bit too long on certain plays? Uh, it was obvious that they were trying to get get a shot early in the game. He took a couple of sacks. A couple of those seemed like they were on him. One was Basantis just let his guy go right around him, and and the one that ended up he fumbled and it was recovered by the offensive lineman. Um, but yeah, I, I I think that there yes 
yes and. Yes, he has a point. There are instances where taking the sack is better than throwing an interception. But yes, he also probably needs to lay off, move on to his second and third reads a little bit quicker to give himself time to hit those routes. See, but knowing this about Max and knowing this about this offensive line, you would think that the coaching staff might try and scheme a little better to get him some quicker, easier throws to, you know, spread the field out a little bit, get 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 keep the defense on their toes and not just let them sit in the house every time. And that's something that kind of stood out to me when he was asked about the kind of playmakers he has a wide receiver. And he says, it's really great to have guys that you can get them on a five-yard pass and they can go make plays. I, I think there's something to a quarterback wanting to be able to kind of get in that rhythm and get the ball to his guys. And they did a little bit of that in this past game. Um, I know the one that was kind of the question to ask about the touchdown to Anias was not that was a long developing play. It was. And um, the offensive line did a great job blocking hey, on that one. Hey, if you want to, and we can go into this a little bit, if you want to look at Pro Football Focus, I've kind of made a habit of tweeting out some of the line grades each week. I know two weeks ago at Tennessee, it was like the worst grade that they've had all year in any phase of the game whatsoever was the offensive line grade. Uh, this was their highest offensive pass blocking grade uh, of, of this year this year they did a pretty good job Trey Zoon had a great game yeah, grade wise um and you know uh there was a couple of sacks allowed one was from uh Basantis the other one was actually credited to uh, Amari Daniels uh blocking in the backfield so um the offensive line had a good game this week which to your point getting Le'Veon Moss back against Ole Miss will be a good thing for the Aggies because he's probably their best pass protection blocker as a running back and if you looked at South Carolina's defensive stats they weren't world shakers in pass rush um they brought like three and four right by by any means they weren't really doing many exotic things uh across the line so it, it there is mitigating factors to those good grades because you know this is a week by week sport and just like we said the defensive secondary wasn't tested against Tennessee because Joe Milton had a terrible game passing against the Aggies. This wasn't a a huge, formidable opponent on the defensive front, which against Ole Miss it's probably going to be, and that's going to be a true test to see how just like A&M's defensive secondary, I think, had a pretty good game against Spencer Rattler. Yes, they did. Um, And and I do think... Saw Sam McCall in there make a pass breakup. Yeah, and dropping Bryce Anderson back to safety and putting DeBerry in at nickelback at some instances, I think was a good move, kind of solidified some things. Because I do think DeBerry has proven that he's a more natural nickelback uh, than he is a cornerback. So those things are case by case. It's not, not everything can be measured in a vacuum week by week because there, there is somebody on the other side of the line. Um, but that being said, they've been bad, and I'm curious to see if, if this is improvement over the, the bye week, the off week in this game, and that'll Ole Miss will be a good test of that. You know, another test A&M's going to face this week is their run defense. They've been pretty good mm-hmm. against the run, had a, had a rough game against Tennessee, which, you know, they kind of chalked it up to Tennessee did a lot of things they weren't expecting. And, and it looked like Tennessee caught them off guard quite a few times when they busted some big ones. But, you know, Ole Miss, of course, they've got Quinshawn Junkins. Jackson Dart is an athlete. I'm really curious to watch Edron Cooper maybe spy on him and some of those down and distances where you know he's going to scramble. Mm-hmm. How, how elusive can Jackson Dart be? 
that play that Edger and Cooper made on the screen where he broke through like four guys and tackled the guy by the ankle. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh, that was a good play. What a play! Yeah, and and working. I've noticed that sometimes in instances of of games where they've had quarterbacks that can run, they've they've dummied the spy of Cooper into a delayed blitz, and that's worked mm. really well for him as well. So, uh, you know, I, for for as much uh, hate as DJ Durkin got early in the season, he's called a good. He's called a good pretty good uh, uh at least as far as the defensive front goes good scheme uh so far this year this defense has really atoned for some early sins right <laughs> and and i you know i i we can get on a whole soapbox about the the three-man front and it's a little bit different i i, I don't mind the three-man front because it's not always a three man it's three down linemen but a lot of times they're just moved the one of the other defensive ends around the outside and he's he's stood up you got Diggs or overton or malik seal or they've dropped Diggs into a full linebacker position and brought edrin cooper up on the edge and let him run so it's you they're usually always bringing four guys there's just three down linemen which i wonder how much of the improved success because that did not work last year and no. Ole Miss really exposed well, that but but last year and well, I, I could be wrong but last year they did it more on third down they did it a true. lot against Mississippi State and that's really oh my gosh plagued Miss- them against that air raid <laughs> because they were trying to drop eight um and, yeah and Will and, Rogers come carved them up like a pumpkin but that was a different thing they really and, and I could be wrong. I could be speaking. I, I'm not using pro football focus to break down the numbers on this, but they really brought in that moving the defensive end different places package on third down because it was mostly they didn't do it much with Fidel Diggs. It was mostly Anai White when That's he came true. in on that third down. Well, in you know, to your point, Anai White was a freshman last year. So is Malik Sela. And and my 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 other point to this too is. Anum's linebacker play is so improved this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, Edron Cooper, it's like a night and day difference watching him play. Like he was he was not a bad player last year, but he was not an all conference type of player that he's playing like this season. Mm-hmm. And so having a guy like him and Torian York has really shined as a freshman. I wonder how much of just in increased dramatically increased linebacker play has helped with some of those things too sure sure and i'm going to shift gears a little bit real quick yeah i think was there anything that stood out to you else in the press conference you know jimbo was asked again about nick constantino and said no nick's our guy we're gonna roll with him and uh you know i i just i wonder just like you know what what what's going on here? Obviously, A and M doesn't have like a special teams coordinator. They Eric mm-hmm. Russell handles all that as one of the analysts. But you know, Nick was really good two years ago, and mm-hmm. it's just it's been kind of odd to see how much of a, a regression it seems like he's taken. Yeah, I mean, punting is such a huge part of the game. Um, it's a such a pressure filled position, um, and you saw. South Carolina brought the house through most of the first half to try to get to him, and they almost, I mean, they, they technically did. It, the punt still managed to, it was just kind of a little bit of a tip, and the punt went down the field a good ways. But I, I think it's one of those situations where even if he's not kicking it well, he's like, he can handle the stress of the situation well because he's been there so much. And so if it's just trying to get to tweak one little thing here or there, you're going to still run him out there. 
Um, he's not getting, he's not kicking it low and getting it blocked. He's not, um, it, it, it's a matter of, kick, he's kicking it 37 yards instead of 45. Okay, you know, uh, and, and when he gets down, in the instances when they have gotten it past midfield and they punt it, he's still dropping it down inside the 20. So, it does. The numbers don't look good. Do I? I think what it's saying is they don't have someone behind him that they can trust in those stressful situations. So they'll take the six yards on average or whatever from two years ago to to now. Um, well, and you know, it's not like he's out totally out kicking his coverage, and then the opposing teams run it back twenty or thirty. Well, yards. that's that's exactly what happened against Tennessee. Well, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I mean. Even though he only outkicked, it was that was, that was a, a low, weird that was, was a, a weird kick, um, but yeah, I, I just think that there's a situation where um, it's it's not worth making the move at this point in the season. I do want to shift gears on you a little bit, and probably something we're not going to do so much through the rest of the season. But let's talk for just a brief minute a little bit of A&M men's hoops because they had their exhibition game up in Denton yesterday. I know it wasn't streamed, and it's the kind of first official look we've gotten at them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you were up there. I mean, you got to watch it with your own two eyes just from reading the box score. You know, it looked like Wade Taylor did Wade Taylor things. It looked like A&M handled its business on the glass, but it looks like turnovers really got the best of the Aggies and ended up really costing them tech did a really good job getting out in front and transition it seemed like yeah it's hard to to use this as a as a like for like example of what things are going to be like when the season gets here because he spent most of the first half with a pretty heavy rotation wade barely played in the first half well, he had two fouls too right he, he did have two fouls early but he, he barely played I, I it seemed like they weren't Going to because even when he came back in and he didn't get any more fouls and he was playing fine, they subbed him back out pretty quickly. Um, it did seem like they were gonna tr- they were using a pretty heavy rotation. I mean, they got into the depths of the bench um, and, and played all eleven of the thirteen guys they brought in the first half. The second half, they mostly stuck with the starting lineup. Um, so I mean, Wade played like nine, 19 minutes of the second half. Yeah. Um and got most of his points in in the second half, so it's that rotation is not going to be what it looks like. Um, maybe maybe a little bit early in the season, but but they have a tough non conference schedule. Um, you're right. They turned the, the the biggest question mark for this team early is going to be turnovers because they turned the ball over 27 times in the scrimmage against Baylor. They beat Baylor in that scrimmage, but and, and it has to be noted that it was a well over 100 possession game. Uh, so, um, yeah, so 27 turnovers, it, it, the, the turnover rates better than what 24 turnovers in, indicates. Um, but there's still a lot of turnovers and, and tech was able to turn those turnovers into uh, fast break transition points. And that's what really killed a and I, I think this a team is starting the season where they were towards the end of conference. They already know that they're still going to have a little bit of that identity of get to the free throw line, make free throws. Um, They did that late in the game and did pretty well. Their free throw percentage was not great early, but they had a lot of different guys, different personnel in there running it and guys that might not see as much playing time or aren't as good at free throws yet. Um, I will say, too, that it was at the Super Pit in Denton. Um, The lighting there was weird. It was really weird. I was talking to one of the f- photographers, and he said, "Like, I don't even know if I got a usable, usable shot because, <laughs> like, it was really bright near midcourt and really dark near the baskets." 